This is Anthony and Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. I spent four or five years in Toastmasters learning how to speak professionally. It was a transformational experience for me, and I'd always had the confidence to stand up and speak, having spent most of my young adult life fronting a rock and roll band and playing in bars before I was even old enough to be in those bars. But a couple of years ago, after I was already speaking professionally, Michael Port, a speaker who I was familiar with but didn't really know, launched a program in what I will call here his life's work. This program was called Heroic Public Speaking, and one of the first videos Michael sent out to promote the program was a list of 50 common mistakes that speakers make. And I took a look at the video and I downloaded the PDF that came with it. And then I saw the first rule, don't point at people. Guilty as charged. Instead, you're supposed to gesture with your hand. Who knew this? I didn't know this. I'd never even heard such a thing before. When someone introduces you, start speaking immediately. The audience is already looking at you and the show has already begun. So the last speech that I gave before watching Michael and his wife Amy Port's first video required me to walk about 30 yards to the center of a massive stage. And I did so in this awkward, awful, uncomfortable silence. And it wasn't only awful for me having to walk all that distance in silence. It was awful for the audience. It was terrible. I didn't know that no matter where you are, you start speaking, but I learned that. And I thought, this is what's on the free videos. What in God's name is in the program? This is great content. So if you've never seen Michael speak, you've never seen a preternatural speaker who can give you an experience like none you have ever seen. I promise you that. It's amazing to watch Michael speak. And if you want to be a great speaker, you're going to want to work with Michael and Amy Port. And you have an opportunity to do that now at Heroic Public Speaking. You're going to learn how to perform and you're going to be transformed. You're also going to massively upgrade your content and you're going to learn the business of speaking. There is no better speaking program anywhere on earth, and there are no two better teachers. So go now to heroicpublicspeaking.com forward slash live and sign up for the October 31st Heroic Public Speaking in Fort Lauderdale. You're going to meet amazing people. You're going to have an amazing experience. You're going to be transformed, and you're going to be the best speaker that you can possibly be, and Michael and Amy will make sure of that. Don't miss it. I had Dave Brock on recently to talk about his new book, Sales Manager's Survival Guide, which is doing incredibly well, and I'm hearing about the book from all kinds of people. And I wanted to bring Dave back on to talk about two things, so I'm going to give you just a quick intro to that, and we're going to dive right into it. I wanted him to talk about how the book is being received, and I wanted to talk about accountability particularly. This is one of the most difficult areas for sales managers to get right, and Dave is one of the smartest people I know when it comes to leadership and sales management. He's my go-to person when I have a challenge. He's the first person I call. So without any further delay, 
Dave Brock in the arena. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Great. How are you, Anthony? I'm wonderful. We did all audio, so neither of us had to shave or put on a shirt or anything. Well, I'm sitting here in my bike bibs and jersey with two days of stubble. As soon as we hang up, I'm running out (laughs) for a long bike ride along the Pacific. How long are you going to go today? Today is, well, I'm joining my team, so it'll be about a 60, 70 mile ride. Oh, that's a good ride. Yeah, but it's along the Pacific. It's easy. It's rollers and and fun to do. Unless you have wind, right? You could have wind coming off the water. Yeah, we could. And that's always the unpredictable thing. Yeah. What kind of a pace for your team? We do usually, well, I'm the guy that's always trailing and they have to, you know, bring me back up to the team. So we usually do somewhere 18 to 21 miles an hour. Oh, that's a fast group. That's a solid, yeah. solid B plus group there. Well, it's a, it's a group. They taught me how to draft and all that. And it's amazing what drafting does, you know, by myself on that route, I'd probably do a 16, 17 mile pace, but you know, tucking in behind my teammates, you really get it up. I did my first attempt at a century. I was with a, a B group and I was tucked in behind about 30 people and there was literally no wind. I mean, there was nothing to it. I was riding and I was getting dragged along at about 21, 22 miles an hour for 40 miles. And I thought, I am in really good shape. I'm really strong. I'm just killing it. We're two hours in and we're at 40 plus miles and we stopped to get a drink at a gas station and we got out, we turned the other direction and went straight up a hill. And the two people who were right in front of me said, are you coming? And that was the last I saw of them the entire day. I had no idea that we had a tailwind and I was being dragged along by a fast group and my 12 mile an hour pace for the next 40 miles to get back to my car was a real education. <laughs> it it is well it is amazing how humbling hills are and it is amazing how great tailwinds are oh yeah and and then when you learn how to ride a group you're sitting there about two three inches behind a person's wheel and and trusting that person and they're trusting maybe 10 people in front of them it's an amazing experience because you just get literally sucked into it figuratively and literally. And, yes. and, and the pace that you can ride in that is phenomenal, except, you know, you have to take your turn of getting in front and pulling the group. But usually my turns are, are, are pretty short. So. Yeah. yeah, you give it everything you've got and then you drop off. Right. We used to do those in soccer when I was a kid, the Indian wind sprints where You'd have to start at the back and run all the way to the front, and then the next guy at the back would run up. It was never a good time. Well, let's talk about drafting a little bit, and let's talk about your book. I brought you on to talk about the book on the podcast before, but I want to do an update because I've been watching the book on Amazon.com, and I've been watching it on social channels and talking to other people, and the book is doing tremendously well. Sales Manager's Survival Guide, which I was uninformed that you were even writing until you had it done. So it was a big surprise to many of us, but it's doing really, really well and it's selling well. What's the feedback that you're getting about the book so far? 
The feedback is really rewarding, and I think it's confirming what I hope to achieve with the book. The big thing that I'm, I'm seeing is people are keeping it on their desks. They're using it every day. What I intended was really a pragmatic guide to help sales managers think about their day-to-day routines, help them think about certain sessions. You know, when I'm sitting down, say, with you, Anthony, doing a deal review, what are the things that I really want to accomplish in this deal review, both in understanding the deal itself, but in helping you develop as a salesperson? And so what I'm finding people doing is they're thumbing through the section on deal reviews. Even though they've read it a few times, they're just getting themselves a couple reminders and doing that. Or when they're sitting down, helping develop performance plans. They're looking at that. So it really is that pragmatic guide that people are keeping on their desk and using every day. And that had been my dream. The second thing, which is positive and a little bit surprising, is I had thought that a lot of experienced senior executives would read it and say, oh, this is very good. Let me get my sales managers to read it, but not spend a lot of time. What I've discovered is senior, very experienced sales executives, EVPs of sales, SVPs of sales, are reading it and using it as a guide to help them coach their frontline managers. Interesting. Which, yeah, which is really a little bit surprising to me because they're saying, aha, you know, these are the challenges my managers are facing in developing their people, what's my role in really helping them be more effective at that? You know, so they're sitting down and talking to them about how are you setting performance expectations? You know, or what are you doing? One of the big things that's coming out is this sales competency model that I talk about. And it's one of the freebies that people who buy the book can get. But, you know, they're really looking at this sales competency model and using it for their organizations. And they're coaching their people on saying, you know, as you're looking at this hire, what's your ideal picture of the hire? So the uptake of kind of, I I won't call it day-to-day, but almost weekly use of very senior sales executives is a little bit surprising to me. And I think the the third one, and I've just started seeing this, and I'm not sure how to judge it yet, is I'm seeing a lot of top-performing individual contributors buying it. Some I had hoped to buy it because they wanted to grow into management. A few actually are having the courage to give it to their, their ma- buying it as gifts for their managers <laughs> and saying, this would help me a lot. So the jury's out on how those managers take it. But, uh, <laughs> what, what, one way or another. Yeah. Right. Could go either direction. There's a couple interesting things there that I want to touch on. First, when I read the book and you sent it to me, it really is a survival guide, but it is a field guide. And I'll tell you what I like most about it. The chapters, some of the sections are three pages long, and the commitment that you have to make to getting what you need to be able to go ahead and execute the idea, the commitment is 15 minutes. You're not committed to having to read the entire book from end to end to be able to execute. You just pop it open to the section that you want, and you've got the answer right there. And and that's my hypothesis on why people are leaving it on their desk because you just flip it open and it's pretty quick to just find what you want and then go ahead and do it. The second thing Mm -hmm. that I want to speak to, I think, is 
sales leaders, it doesn't surprise me that they're reading it only because I've been thinking a lot in writing and working on this idea. A lot of what sales leaders do is model the sales leader that they had. And a lot of what sales managers do is model the sales manager that they had. But when you talk to them in candid conversations like you do and like I do, they'll tell you that they don't know a lot of things and that they didn't have a great model. And so I can see them dipping in to say, what am I supposed to be focusing on and how do I model that when I worked for an organization that maybe didn't do these things or had a manager that didn't pay attention to them? What's your feeling on that? And that's, I think, a critical professional issue is facing all levels of sales management is there isn't a lot of really good frontline sales manager, mid-level sales manager, and senior sales manager training out there in development. There's billions spent and wasted in individual contributors. But if you look at what makes the individual contributors perform, there's not a lot of training. And so you find people that are well-intended, but just haven't had either good role models or good training. And so they really struggle. And I have a huge amount of empathy for these people that genuinely want to try to do well, want their organizations to do well. But when they start looking for resources to do this, they don't have the resources to do that. Again, they haven't had the role models or they start looking for training and they don't find any training. At a senior level, you know, there are a lot of things around leadership training and organizations like CCL and so on that that I think do a superb job at it. Right. But then translating that to the role of the salesperson is really different. It's kind of like you and I were talking about your book the other day. While it's more focused on salespeople, most sales books talk about how to do this, how to be a better closer, how to be a better prospector, and so on and so forth. And you cover that, but you really talk about being a salesperson, you know, what it is to be a salesperson, and then how to be the best salesperson possible. And I think even at sales manager levels, this whole thing of what is it to be a great sales leader, and then the how-to part of it. Yeah, And there's not a lot of good resource to do that. And I think there's, and I have that same empathy for these people and sympathy, I guess, too. When a manager gets into this role, and this is why I've been recommending your book so widely, is a manager gets into this role, they've never had a good model. They've never had a good coach. They don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. They've been given no training. And so what are they left with? They're left with, well, I know I need people to produce better results, so I'm going to try to ask them to produce better results, or I'm going to try to get greater activity. And that's about the extent of what they know how to do. And so they've never had somebody, for example, sit down and do a territory review with them. And they've never had anybody say, do we have the right kind of coverage on these accounts? Or what's your plan to create new opportunities in this vertical? And so they've never seen it done, so they don't know how to do it. And it's not that they don't want to do it, or it's not that they're trying to do bad work. It's just the the training and the skill set hasn't been developed like we've worked on salespeople. And I think you're right. We work on leadership because that's a great area to work and it's important. And we work on the individual rep, but then this middle section in between gets ignored. And so this, in my opinion and yours, I know you share this opinion, 
the frontline sales manager is the most difficult job in business. It's the most challenging. And to me, it feels like it's the most under-resourced. So your book is filling, a, in my opinion, a massive gap in a marketplace of people who are starving for help doing a better job. Well, thank you. One thing there is, it was interesting yesterday, I was having a conversation with a, a sales executive about their onboarding program, their onboarding program for brand new, not new salespeople, but salespeople new to their company. And we jumped to the topic. And I think some of the senior leaders listening to this to think about a little bit is we spend a lot of time, increasing amount of time, very positively talking about onboarding of salespeople. How do we get ramp them up and get them successful as quickly as possible? And there's a lot of good thinking going into onboarding of salespeople. How many companies have an onboarding program for sales managers? You know, even though they may be promoted from an individual contributor to a sales manager, how many people have kind of a structured thing to think of? Here's a person moving into probably one of the most critical roles in the organization. And all we do is, you know, congratulate them and ask them for a forecast. Is, I, I wish you were uh, exaggerating when you said that, but I think you're <laughs> understating it. <laughs> right. But we need to think, and it's not going to be a massive program where you, you send dozens of people through at a time, but it's probably going to be one-on-one. But we need to think about how do we get our frontline sales managers ramped up and to be successful as quickly as possible, because that translates into success for their team. And so I really think senior managers listening to this podcast, and I know they're, they're going to be you know hundreds and thousands of them, is as you're moving people into this, think about what's the onboarding process you're going to take that new manager through, and how are you going to ramp that individual up to be successful as quickly as possible? If we stopped right here, you just created massive value for anyone who is thoughtful about what we do with sales managers in that role. And I've never thought of how do we onboard them, but you're right. The onboarding is a congratulations, a new business card. And then we're going to start hammering you for a daily update on what moved in our pipeline. And that's the extent of it. This brings us to two topics I want to talk to you about. I'm going to try to tie them together. I am a really, really big proponent of cadence for a sales manager. So Mm -hmm. the frequency and the religious nature of keeping things like territory reviews and pipeline reviews and one-on-ones and having a structure to how we manage and lead a team. So I want to ask you about that because there's not a prescribed cadence in the book, but the component pieces that make up that cadence are in the book. So I want to have you just speak to the value of cadence, number one, and then just thinking through your sales manager survival guide you can go out and pull the pieces out of this and conform it to whatever cadence is going to make sense for your business. Because for my money, the, all the pieces are in there. Yeah. And actually, in the individual chapters, I do prescribe cadences. So cadence, I think, is critical in everything. You know, we, we think of individual contributors as salespeople. There's a cadence of how are you blocking your time? How are you blocking your time every week to allow time for prospecting? How are you blocking time every week to learn something new? How are you blocking time to work on your deals and so on and so forth? And those become some sense of cadence. Cadence from a management point of view is absolutely critical. And and what I like to look at is say, 
look at how do our people spend their time? Where is the focus of their work? And if I'm going to coach and develop them, I need to have a coaching cadence that aligns with where they spend their time. So if we think about it, most of our people spend their time doing deals, making sales calls, whether they're on qualified deals or whether they're prospecting or so on and so forth. So if I look at a sales manager's cadence, the activities they do around deals and the activities they do around calls and prospecting should have the highest cadence. And so I recommend in the book that if, for instance, you need to do one deal review with each salesperson once a week. You need to do one sales call review with each salesperson each week. And maybe you switch that up. You do a sales call review on a prospecting program they're doing one week. And then the next week, you do a sales call review that they're doing on qualifying and discovery. And the next week, you do something you know, that's deeper down into a deal. This is where salespeople spend most of their waking hours and working hours doing those things. The cadence and frequency that has to be much greater. And the payoff on that is really good. If you're doing, for instance, a deal review and you're simultaneously accomplishing a business management objective and a coaching and development objective, what that person learns will be transferred to every deal they're working on. So if you have the opportunity to do one a week with each person, think of the the multiplier effect in terms of improving that person's ability to develop and execute strong sales strategies. And then that translates into quality of pipeline and so on. What I mean by the cadence in your book is uh, you didn't outline, there's not a page that says, look, every quarter you need to do a territory review and you need to do a major account review. It is in the chapters, but there's not the program. But I think that you and I probably agree on this. Each business might need a different cadence. So you might say in this case, our cadence has to be much more frequently because of the way our deals are structured. And so the deal reviews need to happen because things change in a fast pace or they need to be done less frequently because they're a long sales cycle time, but then the strategic part of that deal review needs to be done more frequently because we need to make sure we're on course. What I see missing though, Dave, and you may have a different experience than I have, but what I see missing is just even a general territory review to say, what are the verticals that you're calling on? Who are they? Do you have some sort of an insight and a hunch based on any communication or information you have as to how you're going to go create the new opportunities And I know you worked in a role as an individual contributor where you had a territory of one account. And I see particularly those teams, because they're working in the account, they don't stop long enough to do a territory and account plan to say, what are all the opportunities inside this one account? What are all the stakeholders and what are the different initiatives that we need to be working on? But I think that's important. And then the second thing that I see missing, and I'd I'd love to get your opinion on both of these, I see sales managers struggle when they're asked to do a pipeline review. They love opportunity (laughs) reviews, but it's when they have to hold their people accountable for the opportunity creation, they start to say, you know, I don't want to have them do that. And I say, why don't you just do it in a five minute per person on your team call? And they say, they're going to be so unhappy when they have to report up their prospecting activity from the prior weeks in front of their peers. And then I have to ask why? 
if they have some negative feeling about that, what's underneath the negative feeling? They're not holding people accountable for the prospecting activity, so they avoid the pipeline. And I see this lack of accountability, so I'll let you weave this together. Yeah, uh, you, you have it cover a whole bunch there. So a yeah. few things. You know, so, so the cadence, the right cadence for deal reviews, call reviews, territory reviews, account reviews, pipeline reviews is kind of it depends kind of thing. Right. If, for instance, I'm in a consumer product kind of marketplace or even a retail marketplace, a pipeline review every day might be appropriate. Right. But if I'm in something where my sales cycle is 18 months, a pipeline review every week is ridiculous. <laughs> You'd have nothing to you talk know, about. The amount that the pipeline changes from week to week is terrible. So you have to adjust the pipeline review to be appropriate to kind of what the tick of your business looks like. So a bunch of things. Again, what you do is you kind of look at it and say, where do people spend most of their time? So deal reviews, call reviews tend to be the most frequent kind of things, whether it's on a weekly or every other week kind of cadence. Territory and account reviews. The interesting thing is particularly for territory reviews, I never see those being done. And I think that's absolutely critical. It, I've made this statement before, but, you know, I believe it's our God-given right to 100% share of territory, <laughs> you know, and, and so... I think your competitors so, may have a disagreement on that. <laughs> well, but, you know, you know, I was kind of raised with that. It's my God-given right to 100% share of territory, and it's my job to figure out how to do it. And I know it's impossible to do, but that's my goal and what I'm trying to strive for. And so simple things like territory reviews of things like... Do an analysis of your territory. How many customers in our sweet spot are there in a territory? It's funny. I was doing, I was a, a VP of sales with a technology company a number of years ago, and I was sitting down with a team. Fortunately, I had a VP of sales operations that really equipped me with some stuff. I was sitting down with a regional team doing territory reviews of this. And I, I said, how many potential customers exist in your territory. And what they reflected was they said, oh, gee, it was the customers they'd done business with, customers that they had attempted to do business with and were trying to do some things. And that was about it. And my sales operations VP had given me for this region a list. And he actually did this SIC code kind of search of, I think he did it, of, of the DNB. And what we found was based on SIC codes, there are more than three times the number of potential customers in their territory than they were aware of. <laughs> and so we were leaving a huge amount of business potential unaddressed or being addressed by our competition because they hadn't sat down and taken the time to do some simple analysis to say, you know, whether I have a zip code as a territory, whether I have, as I've written, my first territory was two floors of 55 Water Street yeah. in New York City, you know, and I had to produce 26 million a year out of that, those two floors. I mean, it was the operation, IT operations center of one of the largest banks in the world. But whether your territory is two floors of 55 Water Street, a zip code, a state, a region, or a country, you got to do the analysis to say, how many customers sit there? How many am I addressing? And how do I go after all the rest? 
And it's the sales manager's job to not do that, but to help develop that mentality. So again, it was a manager that taught me that says it's your God-given right to 100% share of territory. What's that look like and how are you going to go after it? So I had to start sitting down developing in the case of the bank at 55 Water Street, it was an account plan. But an account plan and a territory plan are very similar. It's just in a territory plan, I have multiple accounts that I'm working at. And in this case, though, your territory was probably multiple stakeholders with uh, potential to buy your solution. Yeah, that was where the CIO, the CTO, and all those sat. But then as he started looking at it in some other buildings in New York City and around the world, there were the end users that I had to go at and so on. So it figuratively was was a global account. What strikes me about that, Dave, is that I think as a manager, we do a lot of things. One, I would say a sales manager first has to be a great leader. I mean, it is a leadership role, but you are still a manager. And so you have to look and say, I've been given a budget and I've been given resources to apply against this problem in this territory. And so from my view, you have to start by looking at, okay, so I have these resources. Now, how do I make sure that I'm applying them so that I can maximize what I can get out of this territory? And that means the individual rep who's got this assignment, they have to be coached to look at that problem and say, who are they? Where are they? Who do I know? What's the compelling reason that they should be changing? Why are they in my sweet spot? But they have to do that work. It just seems... From my experience, when that work doesn't get done, we're just sporadic and reactive instead of saying, we know who our dream clients are. We know where they are. We know the kind of challenges they have. And now here's what my best guess is at how I'm going to go in and develop the relationship and open that opportunity. Well, the natural focus of human beings is to focus on what you know, not what you don't know. And so consequently, what happens is we know the people that we've dealt with or tried to deal with. And we focus on them, but we don't cast a wider net to say, are there other people that look like our dream client that we should be going after? So that I think the importance of the sales manager and driving that thinking and driving that accountability with each person to say, we're going to sit down. And I think the cadence for territory reviews and account reviews, I think, is, again, one of those, it depends things. But generally, I look at doing a territory or an account review on no less than a quarterly basis. Yeah, 90 days I think seems some, to work. Yeah. I think sometimes doing it more frequently is, is just overkill because you look at what's new, what's changed. But, you know, when you do the account review, there's some follow-ups that action plans and follow-ups. So you do want to follow up on those action plans. Or when you do the territory review, there's the same thing. So there is stuff that happens during those 90 days. You know, moving on to kind of the pipeline review piece of it, you know, the pipeline reviews are kind of, they're the most frequent and most ineffective things that I've ever seen. You see people doing weekly, sometimes almost daily pipeline reviews. What's changed? You know, and again, if you're on an 18-month cycle, nothing's going to change between Wednesday and Thursday. Nothing significant is going to change between Wednesday and Thursday. The other thing that I've seen is people don't understand the objective of a pipeline review. So virtually probably about 85 to 95% of every pipeline review I've ever sat through has become a deal review. What happens is we start looking at the pipeline and then we say, ah, there's that deal with (laughs) Bank of America. And they dive into that. 
high visibility, high value, right. interesting right. problem it, set, yeah, it's great place to have fun. I, I do that, you know, and I come back and then we look at the rest of the pipeline. Oh, there's this deal with General Motors and you dive into that and so on. And what you do is you never accomplish the pipeline review. The pipeline review really has a few simple objectives. It's really, do we have high integrity in the pipeline? Do we have sufficient volume in the pipeline? And do we have sufficient velocity in the pipeline? And if we don't have any one of those things, then we start coaching, what are we going to do to achieve this? Let me tell you what the other 15% is. You covered 85% with deal review. The other 15% is a forecast meeting. Is this one still going to close? Is that one still going to close? Anything else going to close? Rather than saying, did we create enough new opportunities in this period? Are the opportunities that we've created, are they progressing like they're supposed to be so we get that velocity? And rather than looking at that different problem set, we get to the ones that I think are more interesting and more fun to work with. And opportunity reviews are great fun. Talking about prospecting activity and the creation of opportunities is not as pleasant of a conversation for a lot of people. Go ahead and you respond to that. And then I want to nudge you to talk about accountability and avoidance of accountability. Yeah, we don't have... Yesterday afternoon, probably one of the last things I did in the afternoon is I was doing a quick pipeline review with the VP of sales that I'm coaching. And he showed me his pipeline and he said, you know, the numbers look kind of right on this and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, it was the pipeline was shown kind of by the stages people were in. And I said, well, look at this first one. It's one of the biggest opportunities in his pipeline. And I said you have roughly a six-month to nine-month sales cycle. And he said, yep. And I said, this very first opportunity, which is a big, important opportunity, has been stuck in qualifying for 167 days. Tell me about that deal. And he said, oh, shit. (laughs) You know, and I said, are you looking at these things? Are your people looking at these things? As we start looking at the pipeline, we have to start looking at all these issues of do we have enough coming in? Do we have enough going out? Do we have enough volume? Do we have velocity? And people really aren't paying attention to that. And so what happens is once you start falling behind, the chance that you have to make those numbers up become very, very threatened. It's interesting because if you, let's just say in that kind of a sale where maybe you need to create two or three new opportunities a month, if you don't look at that and then you don't create those two or three opportunities in January, then in February, instead of needing three, you need six. And by March, you need nine. And then you start looking at it and going, I'm having trouble getting three. How do I get nine? You become hopelessly behind and you never catch up. Yeah. And I think that that's the part of the pipeline review that's missing. And let me ask you to speak directly because I'm Luke Skywalker and you're Yoda. You're my Yoda. So the struggle I see, I'm not saying anything about the way you look. You're way taller than Yoda. Well, I, I was I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah, there you are stroking your egos. Luke Skywalker is a good looking guy and you are the good looking guy. No, right. I'm the guy who knows nothing. I'm sitting at the feet of the master. I have no qualms about telling people when I have a sales management challenge, my first call is Dave Brock. The unwillingness of sales managers to hold people accountable for prospecting particularly, that's the one that they worry about getting the pushback and dealing with the individual. And they struggle to just enforce any kind of accountability around that. Give me your view on why that is in 
how sales managers should think about accountability? I'm not sure I know why it is. As soon as I figure that out, I'll write another book. But I think what you have to do is you have all these people that want to do a good job. And you have to give them, you have to have the expectation that they are going to do a good job. And that's accountability is, you know, I'm giving you all the tools and resources to do the great job that you want to do and that we hired you to do. And if you aren't doing that, then my job is to help you figure out how to do that. So accountability is really giving people the opportunity to do what they were hired to do and what they accepted the job to do. And we shy away from that. And part of that is, I think sometimes we view these discussions around accountability as kind of confrontive kind of things, because usually when we talk about accountability, it's when we're behind on performance. Yes. Yeah. That's it. I think it's because we're not doing a pipeline review and it's because we're not maintaining that cadence and helping coach so that our salesperson maintain that cadence. When we fall behind, then it is a more uncomfortable conversation. And I have to say, Dave, you needed three opportunities worth $750,000. And now we're behind by nine. And now it's uncomfortable because both of us know we're so far behind, it's difficult. But doesn't the frequency and the cadence of just doing the normal routine maintenance of a sales manager, which means the territory review when they're necessary, the pipeline review when Mm -hmm. it's necessary, doesn't that accountability, isn't it easier if you just structure that accountability and you hold people accountable at that regular frequency rather than allowing something to become a problem before you do anything about it? It reinforces really good habits. I know in your blog, Anthony, you write so much about the importance of kind of routines. And this regular cadence of deal reviews, call reviews, account territory reviews, pipeline reviews, prospecting reviews, whatever these are, is this regular cadence starts setting the expectation, starts setting this thing of of this tick of how the business works, this tick of where we have expectations and we want to help you meet those expectations. And that's the purpose of these reviews in these meetings and these discussions. So I think all of that is important in terms of really setting up and reinforcing the good habits and then catching things are going to go wrong. That's why we hire smart people into sales and hire smart people into sales management is things are going to go wrong. So what we want to do is we want to catch those things as early as possible so that we can correct them both correct the situation and then correct maybe a bad habit that we have or something that we need to do differently. I want to do three things here before we finish up this conversation. One, are you going to help sales leaders with more content in the future? No, absolutely not. I've given (laughs) up on them. Yeah, no, we continue to do that. And you're doing a gracious setup. Right now, I'm kind of about 40-50% through the Sales Executive Survival Guide, which is the sequel to Sales Manager's Survival Guide. In Sales Manager's Survival Guide, my focus was on 
the leader in how they maximize the performance of individuals and teams. So it's really the frontline sales managers, you know, focusing on how do I maximize the performance of each person on my team and of the team together. The sales executive survival guide will be a step up. It's really for the top sales leaders, and it's looking more at organizational performance. How do I maximize the performance of the organization within the enterprise? And what is the role? How do we maximize the role and contribution of the sales function within the enterprise? And that's beyond just generating revenue, but how do we maximize that? So we move from individuals and teams to overall organizational excellence. Now, is that a sequel or is it a prequel? (laughs) it might be a prequel it might be it actually could be a prequel but what i wrote was the the frontline one because i think that's the most urgent problem right now the the second one is you know the issues i just spent several days kind of huddled with the guys at ceb and some other wickedly smart people and one of the big issues that we see facing everyone individually and organizationally is complexity and it's not getting easier. So how do, and as we look at sales organizations, how do we deal with this overwhelming complexity that we face? How do we maximize performance in that? How do we build models of what the organization look like or, or how we really can drive higher engagement? And how do we look at simplifying what we do is just think of, you know, one of the terms I hate the most right now is this concept of the sales stack. Yeah, You know, the sales stack is we have a base of a CRM system, then we add something on that, we add something on that. And you go to the conferences and, you know, somebody stands up and says, the average sales stack is 14.2 applications. The next year, it's 18.x applications and so on. And it's kind of like a, a race for who can have the biggest sales tech. But now you start looking at that from a sales point of view and say, what's the complexity of the salesperson just dealing with all these tools that are supposed to help them and make them better, but it's actually slowing them down and making them more confused. Exactly. And Uh so not even the cost, the financial cost, what's the maintenance cost from a day-to-day perspective from a rep? The apps are getting so specialized that there's now an app to how do you qualify and work with guys who have shaved heads who live in Ohio, who are very dapper, very articulate, very smart, and who've been to law school and work for staffing organization. There's an app for that. (laughs) That's a pretty specific (laughs) app. The apps are getting so ridiculous. And so you start thinking about, I'm a salesperson and I have to deal with all these apps. And actually, it's slowing me down. It's taking me away from productive selling time. So, you know, I'm into this whole thing around radical simplification, particularly around this complexity that we deal with. So the sales executive survival, I'm going to be writing and and speaking a lot about that in the coming months. And the sales executive survival guide is really focusing on if we're going to drive organizational excellence, we really have to look at the complexity within the organization and the complexity that each individual faces and how do we drive simplification and rationalization radically. 
I want to touch on two more things before we finish here. One, I want to point people to Sales Manager Survival Guide on Amazon.com, and you can pick that up in paperback or you can pick it up in Kindle. If you're a sales manager or a sales leader, this is mandatory reading. The second thing I want to do is I want to connect people with your blog, Dave, and I want people to come out and get a free resource from you and sign up to get email from you. What resource should they download and where should we link people to connect with you online so they can keep up with your writing and your thinking as you do this work? Probably the best place is partnersinexcellenceblog.com. And there are all sorts of kind of offers on the sidebar to sign up for the newsletter to get the blog delivered to your email box every day. There are also links to the Sales Manager Survival Guide site, and that site has a bunch of free resources for people who have bought the book. And at the end of every blog post, there's always an offer for a resource. You know, one of the resources I wish people would reach out to me for right now is the sales competency model. As we start looking at, you talk a lot about our dream client, you know, and we have this picture of our dream client. Sales leaders need to start looking at what's my dream salesperson? Yeah, that's you know, why I wrote my book. I mean, it's the attributes, yep. it's the competencies. And I looked and said, we're mad at people for not having competencies, but then we don't do anything to help them with those competencies. And I've explained this to sales managers. It's a deficiency model. I mean, you look at it and you say, this person struggles to be resourceful and they lack business acumen. Okay, well, you well, hired them. That's your problem, right? You have to help them gain the competencies or hire them with the competencies and develop them. Exactly, exactly. In fact, you have to invite me on your podcast to talk about how fantastic your book is. <laughs> I'm going to do my podcast with you on this but, you know, the thing that's remarkable about your book that I saw was different, you and I talked about this a, a week or so ago, is different than anything else I've seen, is it's about being a sales professional. What are the competencies? What are the attributes? What are the routines that I go through as an individual to be a top performer in this profession? Not the how-to. But it's really about what is it that I need to do to be a top performer? And that's the, the first half of your book. Then the second half kind of really relates to how do I then take that and how do I do some of the how-tos? How do I become better at executing some of the things that it takes to be a, a salesperson? But it's so unique in that since you've called me a Yoda, you get kind of this existential kind of view from me, <laughs> is, is that, you know, there's nothing that I've ever seen about being a great sales professional. So we need to have a conversation about that and about your book, because it's really unique in my view of things. And I want to claim the right to broadcast that to your audience as well as to my audience. That would be a blast. I'd love Super. to do that. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And I'm glad the book is doing well. I wanted to bring you back on to talk about what you were seeing because I think it's a critical piece of reading for sales managers and sales leaders. And we'll link them and send them out there. Well, you know, I'm always into continued improvement and setting the bar higher. So even though it's doing well, it could do better. So buy more. <laughs> well, we'll help them do that. Hey, be careful on your ride today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed this, Anthony. 
your sales IQ is now 22 points higher thanks to listening to Dave. And if you go out and pick up Sales Manager Survival Guide, it will be 44 points higher at the conclusion of that book. It is a field guide. It is a book that you want to keep on your desk. And when you have a challenge or when you have an issue or when you have a question, you can simply flip open the book and find the chapter that you need and you can find answers immediately. You can find Dave at partnersinexcellenceblog.com. You can find him also on Twitter as David A. Brock. I'm Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. And right now you can find me at preorder.theonlysalesguide.com where I will pitch you to buy my new book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, in as many copies as you can possibly use. Maybe you can stack them up around you to protect you from the zombie apocalypse. Go check it out, preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. I'm Anthony Anarino, and I will see you next time in the arena. There's no way we're getting out of this podcast without me pitching my new book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, being published by Portfolio on October 11th, 2016. Right now, I've done something that no one else has ever done. I've delivered a package of bulk buy bonuses for you that are actual value, that have never been delivered before, and that are going to help you transform your own personal results and the results of your team. And I want to take 30 seconds and tell you what is inside the book. Inside the book is two sections. One section is about mindset. So it's about behaviors and beliefs and attitudes. And the second half of the book is skills. And what this is essentially is a deficiency model. So any area where you might need to improve to succeed in sales is in this book. Maybe it's your discipline. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your resourcefulness. Maybe you need help closing. Maybe you need help prospecting or developing your business acumen. It's all in there. So right now, go to preorder.theonlysalesguide.com and you're going to be able to download a couple chapters In one of those chapters, you're going to find the table of contents, which will describe to you all of the attributes and all of the skills you need to succeed in sales now. This book will make you better. This book will help you grow. This book will help you develop into a trusted advisor, a consultative salesperson, and somebody who wins new business. So go check it out, preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. Look for the bonuses and do send me a note and let me know how you like the book. Go pick up the book now. I promise you're going to love it and you're going to be transformed. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.